Hey, welcome everybody. So glad that you joined us again this week. Hey, we have arrived at the last teaching in Jesus' teachings on sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that are found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And so really thrilled you're with us. If you've, As always, if you've missed any, uh, on the YouTube channel UNC Chi Alpha, you can find these teachings. Also go to the website xa-unc.com if you're looking for podcasts. And between the two platforms, there's dozens and dozens of teachings, not just this one series, that we pray and hope will be a blessing to you. Well, I'm going to wrap up our series today and, uh, and hopefully uh, illustrate something very, very practical-minded for us at the same time. Now, we've covered a lot of ground through the course of this series, but we didn't even begin to touch on everything that Jesus taught, even in these three chapters of Matthew. But I'm going to try just for a moment to refocus us and give us a little parameter for where we're going to wrap up today. And that is looking back a little bit at the Sermon on the Mount itself. You know, when Jesus was teaching to the, to the disciples and to all those who were hearing at the Sermon on the Mount, um, it was revolutionary. It was also extremely um, relevant. And I think today both of those things are still very true for us in the time and in the culture in which we live now. He was preaching an upside-down kingdom in so many ways. In a lot of ways, he was saying to them and to us, your status, your good works, your title, um, your degree, right? Your position, your religion, or your family will not make you right before God. And beginning with the Beatitudes back in chapter 5, Jesus is busy turning over the ground of our lives, pulling out weeds and rocks and thorns. He's preparing a good ground in us that can produce good fruit, and provide a trustworthy foundation so that a life-giving relationship with God Himself may be established. Because it's in relationship with God that we grow, that we're refined, and that we really walk fully in the forgiveness that God offers us and frees us, freeing us from all the things that have condemned us and jailed us in our lives. He says this kingdom is for the poor in spirit. And if you remember all the way back in week one, that means to be spiritually bankrupt, right? Not economically poor. But it does carry with it the idea of abject poverty, right? Meaning that we don't have the resources. We have no way possible of paying the debt that we owe to God. What's that? Well, that's the debt owed to God because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of our, our indifference towards Him or our rejection of Him. Uh, it's, a, it's a debt that we owed back to Him. And thankfully, as we learned just coming through Easter, it's a debt that He paid for all of us because we couldn't do it. So this kingdom is for the poor in spirit who receive Jesus as their Savior, right? But also to choose life to live with Him both now and forever. If we back up just a few weeks, I want to do this just to kind of tie us back into today. Jesus is teaching about judging and how you judge somebody else is the way that you will be judged. An effective prayer, the golden rule, treat others as you'd like to be treated. The narrow gate, right? Or the wide gate. Uh, these are two paths that he talks about us being on with very different destinations. The fruit of the tree, meaning we should all assess ourselves well, judge ourselves so that we can bear good fruit in this life. And then last week, Brooke talked about true disciples, what it means to be a true follower of Christ. And then today, Jesus is giving us an illustration in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 26, about builders. And this is what he says. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. 
Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teachings and doesn't obey them is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now the imagery here is of two houses that are likely built very similarly, right? Same materials maybe, good quality materials, beautiful windows and doors and maybe stylish colors and it's, and it's comfortable, so it's a good house. But the houses are also representative of two different lives lived and speaks to some hidden things, most importantly, the foundation of our lives. The foundation is what supports all that we build our lives on. If the foundation is bad or non-existent, all that rests on top of it will begin to shift, crack, and become unstable. Even when our lives are going well, if we lack a good foundation, over time, it'll lead to the crumbling of our strength, our peace, and our security. But we also know that life is not typically smooth and easy, is it? Difficulties, challenges, questions, loss, uh, maybe even trauma will come. These storms will greatly increase the stress on your life. They will also collapse the home with no foundation, and with it, all that we thought provided peace, comfort, happiness, and safety. So Jesus tells us that the rain comes and the flood rises and the wind blows and beats on our house. And it's to make us aware and to warn us that the foundations of our lives will be shaken at some time or another, both for believer and non-believer. Both now in the trials of life and ultimately at the end of our lives when our lives will be judged before God himself. Time and the storms of life will ultimately prove the strength of the foundation of our life. And we may be surprised to find out whose foundations are good and whose foundations are not good or whose foundations are non-existent. Take, for example, two people from the Bible. We've got Judas and Nicodemus. Now, Judas was obviously part of Jesus's inner circle. He walked with Jesus. He walked with God himself day in and day out for years. If anybody would have a great foundation, it would be him. But as we discover towards the end of Jesus, uh, Judas's life and just prior to Jesus's crucifixion, the foundation that Judas was operating with probably wasn't what most people thought. In fact, most scholars think that probably what the case was, was he was what they call a zealot. Someone who thought that Jesus was coming to, to be a natural leader, a governmental leader, someone who would physically overthrow the Romans and take control. Of course, we all know that Jesus was bringing a spiritual revolution at the time, and as a result, Judas betrayed him. Nicodemus, on the other hand, was a member of the Pharisees. He was a religious leader. He was a member of a group of people who actually had Jesus arrested and crucified and accused him of blasphemy. Of any people, at least on the surface, if you looked at Judas's house and Nicodemus's house, you would think, okay, Judas has the proper foundation, Nicodemus doesn't. But Nicodemus sought Jesus out and, and, and asked him questions and wanted to understand and ultimately got rid of his old foundation and put a brand new one down in Christ himself. How do we know this? Not just that Nicodemus asked him questions. When Jesus is crucified, he and Joseph of Arimathea come and receive the body and go and prepare Jesus' body to give him the proper burial and thus declare publicly his stance with Christ. So you never know what people are building their houses on. 
The real foundation of our life is usually hitting, hidden like a foundation of a house, but it's always proven in the storm of life. So it is better that we test our foundation now to, to see that it is a good foundation. Then we wait until our lives end and then we stand before God and we have to, to have to let that be tested before him. Jesus may be actually referring in this illustration back to Proverbs. If you look at Proverbs 10, 25, he says this. He says, when the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. And so that again illustrates the idea that um, there's both challenges in the natural now, but also there's an ultimate result as well, depending on the foundation that we have trusted in. And so Jesus says, whoever listens to my teachings and follows wise, like building on rock. But what's inherent here also is this, listening and hearing God's word is not enough on its own. You can go to church every Sunday and hear the word preached every Sunday, but if you don't go out and live it, then you're missing the boat. You're not creating a good foundation. You have to also do what it says. It's like if we hear the truth, but choose to live our own version of truth, we get what comes with that. In fact, truth is not malleable. It's not situational. It is firm, unmoving, steady, and trustworthy, like rock. To say, you live your truth and I'll live my truth, which is common these days, it's not about truth at all. It's about what makes you happy. But happiness comes and goes. It shifts because it's an emotion. It's like sand. Yeah, and if you're asking that question right now, yes, God does want you to be happy. But to pursue happiness instead of truth is to build a house that looks beautiful and comfortable to you, but is slowly giving way under the pressures of reality. Now, Bruce puts it this way in this illustration, this way, which I think is pretty interesting. Sometimes we think of this illustration from Jesus as being a rock foundation and a sand foundation. But he points out something that I think more of us do these days than we realize is that the sand foundation wasn't a foundation at all. The builder of that house didn't even give a consideration to the foundation. In other words, he didn't choose one. He just built a house. And I think too often these days, we're not deciding what the foundation of our life is going to be. We're not even giving it the time of day. And so it begs the question, what is your foundation? What will you do with Jesus' teachings? Going back again to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and tying in to this illustration that we must not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Jesus says it looks like this. Be merciful, meek, peacemaking, repentant of your sins and pursuant of righteousness. Doing the words that Jesus gives and building a solid foundation. But if we're indifferent to, ignoring of, or even ignorant of Jesus' teachings, what are we using for the foundation of our life then? How do you measure right and wrong, good and evil, trespass and forgiveness, moral and immoral? Does your foundation change with your situation or your circumstances? Is it driven by self-centered wants and a consuming search for happiness? Jesus offers a very different foundation, one built in truth and love and forgiveness, generosity, and life. So what's needed and what's required? This is where I want to wrap up today. 
If you'll give me just a moment, I want to kind of paraphrase what I think Jesus is saying to us through the course of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the themes being guard your heart always. So if you just give me this moment, I want to give you some words back that I think he would try to say to us through the ages today. He would say, maybe I have shown you all that is required. I've shown you how to live, the need for forgiveness, and its remedy, its solution, because I, Jesus, has, he's saying I've provided it for you. All that I give, I give without cost to set all people free from the jail of their sins, from their broken and insufficient identities, their pride and denial of God. But you must choose. You must choose the way in which you will go. Whether through the narrow gate or the wide path, they each lead to very different destinations. If you're on the wrong one, get off and get on the right one. God's path. Storms of this world will come. Moments or even seasons of loss and chaos and frustration and even fear will come. Whatever is your foundation will determine your ability to stand in the midst of earthly trials and determine if what you built your life upon will stand the final testing before God Himself. What are you building your house on? Have you taken the time to choose wisely its foundation? Is it built on you or is it built on God? Have you even chosen a foundation for your life? If you haven't, it's not too late to choose. Like Nicodemus, you can always take out one foundation, put another one in, and build something solid in your life. A foundation is how you, how you view yourself, how you view the world, and how you interact with it, and most importantly, how you interact with God Himself. And therefore, what you value. And your understanding comes with it. We all need that. And as we read through these verses here in Matthew chapter 7, I cannot more encourage you with all my heart, make Jesus and His teachings the foundation of your life, and you will find life itself through Him. I want to finish with this. It's a few verses from an old, an old song that used to get sung in church. You don't hear it much anymore. Called Jesus, My Solid Rock. The song goes like this, says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Guys, I just want to say to you that um, God is with you and for you. But He's also calling us to Himself and calling us to His, His character, His name, His teachings so that we might have life and we might have an abundant relationship with Him, not only now, but forever. So choose your foundation wisely. Can't wait to see you guys again. May God's peace be with you and on you. In Jesus' name, love you guys.